It's a special thing to be a part of. It's a special thing we get to be a part of. So we're going to embrace it. But here's the other thing, and here's what I want to talk to you about, because at the end of the day, we can change things organizationally, but if we're not on track with what God wants to do in us personally, we will miss it. We will miss it. We can change service times and structures and add rooms and and build buildings and pave parking lots and do all those great things, and at the end of the day, that's not the church. The church is the people of God. And and it would be a sad thing if we grew as an organization. And it's actually possible to grow as an organization. I had a friend who worked in a church a a few years back that was the fastest growing church in the state of Washington. And after there was a moral failure amongst leadership and all these other things came out, he told me, Caleb, we had found out how to grow the church without Jesus' help. Isn't that an amazing statement? And I think, what, and what he meant by that is we were growing something, but it wasn't the church. And I think when we look around our nation, unfortunately, sometimes we grow organizations, we grow nonprofits, we build crowds, we build mobs of people, we build, we build social media groups, and they're not built on anything other than a personality or a shared thought, and the minute that that is gone, so is any momentum that they had. And so I want to talk to you the rest of the morning, not about organizational changes, but I want to talk to you about four goals that I feel like the Lord is challenging me on personally this year. They're things that I'm supposed to do personally as a Christian, not as a leader, and they're four goals that I felt like I was supposed to share with you and ask you to adopt as goals for yourself this morning. Because the last thing that I want is to grow as an organization and at the same time forget what matters most. It's possible for us to continue to grow on the surface, but to die underneath the surface. And that was really what the letter to the Philippians was about, that we started talking about last week. And I'm going to ask you to look at Philippians 1, because we're going to see those goals played out in the scripture passage that we look at this morning. We're going to see how the scripture passage this morning aligns with the core values of Sound Life Church, because the Apostle Paul was writing to the Philippians, and God used it to write to all of his church throughout all of history to remind us what matters most. In Philippians 1, 10 through 11, we read these words, the words of a spiritual father to his church, the words of God to us. It says, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Do you know what he's saying there to the Philippians? Now, the Philippians, as we talked about last week, they were one of the healthy churches. Like, they were on track. They were doing well. They were about as close as you could get to the perfect church, even though they were made of imperfect people together by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. God shapes us into this perfect community, and he's reminding them, hey, things are going good right now, but I want you to understand what matters most, or you will end up somewhere you didn't want to be. And that's true in life, that if we don't build our lives on what matters most, we think we have good intentions, but we end up somewhere we didn't want to be. And where, where should we be focused on? He says, when you focus on what matters most, here's where you're going to end up. You're going to live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Not after Christ's return, but until Christ's return. He's saying, you're going to live lives 
that you don't have to feel ashamed of, that you don't have to feel guilty about. You're going to live lives that are pure and blameless that God's going to look at and say, that's what I created you for. That's what I saved you for. That's what I sent my spirit for. Like, you're doing it. Because of the grace of Jesus on the cross and the power of his Holy Spirit, we can do that. We can be those perfect people, quote, unquote, that we have never been, but by the grace of God, he has called us back to be. Right? And when we do it together as a church, it's a beautiful picture of the restoration that Jesus wants to bring to all people everywhere in the world. Paul's saying, I want you to understand so that you actually achieve what God has created you for. Do you know that there are many Christians who know the grace of Jesus on the cross, but they sit here broken in a broken world waiting for Jesus' return or for heaven to come and take them, and they think, well, I'll change then. I'll be perfect then. I'll be who God wants me to be then. And, And the word of God says, you're not supposed to wait for that. The Spirit came to bring the kingdom of God to you now so that you can show a broken and dying world that it's possible. Not so that you can brag and be like, I'm perfect, because God will quickly help you remember that you were not on your own, right? That's the goal, and here's what I have found as God leads me to a more and more pure and blameless life from the broken, dirty, messed up one that I brought to him. The more pure and blameless I become, the more, the more I flourish, the more I feel good about myself, the more I'm able to be the man that I want to be and do the things that, that I feel like I was created to do. The more pure and blameless we, we are in step with God, the more satisfying life becomes, and that's the flourishing that Jesus died to give us freedom from sin, but freedom to live life abundantly. And he describes a little bit of of how that joy and that flourishing works. He says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. And again, there's an idea there that you can have salvation and it be fruitless. You can have salvation and you are alive and and you're going to be in heaven, but your life in this world is fruitless. It's unproductive. It has no impact. He's saying, if you will go on this journey with Jesus, you will be filled with the fruit of salvation. Not just a, a tree that produces a couple of fruits, but a tree that is overflowing with the fruits of your salvation. And where does that fruit start? It says, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus. Here's what I've found. Over time, talent is not what impacts us the most. Character is what impacts us the most. We can be entertained by talent for a little, bit, for a little while. We can ooh and ah at talent, but it's character that really makes or breaks relationships. It's character that makes or breaks organizations. It's character that makes or breaks leaders. It's character that makes or breaks marriages. It's character that we dream of or we should dream of when we think about what do I want to cultivate in my child more than anything else. I want to cultivate character. Why? Because character is the, is the starting place for any kind of fruitfulness that impacts the world around us. And that comes from the grace of Jesus and the work of his Holy Spirit. So what we find is that when we're engaging in living life the kingdom way, the way Jesus saved us, when we are pure and blameless, becoming on that journey to becoming the perfect people Jesus died to make us, we begin to flourish. And then as God shapes us and changes us, the fruit of our lives, do you know who's, when you go through character development, it's hard. But do you know who, who gets blessed when you go through character development? Everybody around you. 
When God begins to develop my character, it hurts me. And it helps my wife and my kids and my coworkers and everybody else that I meet, right? When we go through the journey of character development, now it does bless me because all of those relationships become healthier, but at first it's painful for me, but a blessing to everyone around, around me. That's the way flourishing should happen in your life. That God takes you through this restoration process that at times is full of surrender and repentance and all these things. But over time, not only does it bless you, but it blesses everyone else around you. And then what did it say at the end? It says, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Because the world will look at you and they'll say, oh, that's what a Christian is supposed to look like. Oh, that's what Jesus' people are supposed to act like. Oh, that's what Jesus can do. And if Jesus could do it in you, then maybe he could do it in me. But that kind of process, you flourishing, bringing flourishing to other people, being a blessing to God in the process, that only happens when you build your life on what matters most. And the more thoroughly you you build your life on what matters most, the more that process exponentially increases in impact. And here's my concern. I think that most Christians in our culture have been lured into one foot on what matters most and one foot on the, on the skimboard at the beach that's sliding all over that the world offers us. And we're like, this is fun, right? This is fun until you fall and break your tailbone. Right? We, we like both. We're like, God, I want to have a foot over here so I can be in heaven with you and experience all your blessings. I love your presence. I love when I, when I really need it. I can go to church and get a little shot in the arm of, of God's power. But I also want to have all the things that the world has offered me. And that doesn't work out very well. Your life definitely isn't pure. It won't end up blameless. The fruit will be mixed, some good, some rotten. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we, with good intentions, we misunderstand what matters most. As a parent, sometimes we think, because our kids matter a lot and we've been stewarded with them, we wrap our identity in our children. We build our lives around the, the, their success or we build our lives around their hobbies or their education or their sports. And, and we wonder why later so many marriages fall apart when the kids are out of the house. Because you built your identity on your kids and that was not what mattered most. It matters, but not most. You're supposed to teach your kids what matters most, not make them the thing that matters most. But sometimes we we fall into the trap of thinking that our career is what matters most. This is where I feel gifted, where I feel used well, where I feel productive, I feel successful. And then what happens is it's a common trend for people to go through depression after retirement because their identity was wrapped up in a career. It mattered It was good. It was a contributing thing in society. It's a part of the life God had for them, but it's not what mattered most. There's all sorts of other things, lesser things than jobs and family that we can misunderstand as the things that matter most. And when we build our lives on those things, we end up disappointed and we realize that our life was not as fruitful as it could have been. On the reverse When Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, I'll add the other things to you. I'll add the joy. I'll add the the health at work. I'll add the health in your family. I'll add the vacations and the retirement and the, the health that you need in your body and in your mind. 
if you seek the kingdom of heaven first, if you get what matters most correct. And so the question for us and the goals that I want to give you are about making sure that what matters most are what you're pursuing, what I'm pursuing. That if the Lord continues to grow this church, because it's Jesus that grows his church, it's Jesus that builds his church. If Jesus continues to grow his church, what kind of a church will they find? Is it one that shows them what matters most or shows them a watered down picture that doesn't quite give them a path to eternity? I want to look at the verses surrounding Paul's prayer and go back a verse to verse 9. Paul says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. What do you think about that statement? Because Jesus is still sitting at the right hand of God praying that for you. It's in the word of God. It's a des- God's desire for you. Is your life a, l- a life that overflows with love? And how do you know? Where does love start? Love should always start with God. That he's the source of love. He teaches us what, love's looks lo- what love looks like. We are meant to love God. But even God said, if you really love me, it won't stop there. It will touch everyone around you. Love is measured by relationships. Love is measured by how you treat and engage with the people around you. Overflowing love is that river of living water produced by the Holy Spirit's work in your life where everyone around you, the Holy Spirit's constantly showing you how to love them well. Overflowing love, more and more, Paul's saying, I know some of you are overflowing with love. There's people in this church that are overflowing with love. And Paul says, I hope it'll happen more and more. You know, Jesus prayed a very similar extended prayer. John 17, right before he was taken and crucified, he prayed to the Father that the defining trait of the church would be how we loved each other. Because it was our love for each other that would prove to a lost and dying world that what God has done among us is real. Love is the genuine relational love. Love between two spouses when they know each other doesn't always deserve it. Love for your kids when it is a painful sacrificial love sometimes. Love for your neighbors when they don't agree with your your values or your politics. Love for your coworkers when they drop the ball and you have to pick it up. Love when it's undeserved is a powerful statement of the reality of God's work in your life. And the question is, is that what's coming out of you or not? We could grow as a church, but if we don't love like a family, it's not a church worth growing. I think it's been one of the things that has defined Sound Life Church since long before I've been here is there has been a core of people loving one another here and teaching other people that love for a long time. And we don't want to lose that. In fact, we need to do it more and more. We need to overflow more and more. And so the first of our 2024 goals is a family goal around our our core value of we are meant to be more like a family than just a group of people. And it's this, I wanna challenge you and ask you to build one new and intentionally spiritual, deep friendship with someone from Sound Life Church that you don't already know. How do you feel about that? There's some extroverts in the room that are like, yes, I love this goal. Why only one a year? I want one a week. That's my wife. 
And you know what? I'm just going to say we need you. And like representing the introverts in the room, go turbo. Build all sorts of friends. Help all sorts of people get to know each other. My favorite thing in the church lobby is when I'm just tagging along with an extrovert because somebody knows how to talk to everybody. But if you're an introvert, you're like, oh, man, I hate having friends. <laughs> friends are a lot of work. Friends are just obligations. Here's the thing. That's not what God built you for. That's a product of your society. It's a product of your pain. And even and healthy introverts have some of the deepest friendships, Right? My wife will tell you, it drives her crazy. I, I would be totally happy by myself in my house for days and days and days. She's like, don't you miss people? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I am with my favorite person. It drives her crazy. And you know what? That's been one of the areas God has worked on me on. It's been one of the things that I've had to learn that God loves people. And the closer I get to know him and the more he shows me his perspective on people, the more I'm like, oh, God, you're right. They are worth loving. Right? And God has done this work in me where I, I don't feel this longing, to, this need to be with people like my wife does. But I love people. Like, here's how I know the Holy Spirit has done a miracle in my life, because I have become a hugger. I like to hug people. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's going to make you weird like he has me, but I am going to say that your life is meant to overflow with love, and it's meant to be shown first and foremost in the church and how we love one another. This is meant to be a family where we take care of each other in the difficult times. We celebrate with each other in the good times, that this is meant to be a place where we share our victories and our defeats, and we share them in light of biblical truth. That's what we want to do. And so I'm going to give you one year to make one new, very deep friendship where you can share what God's doing in your life. You can be a little bit vulnerable. Every man in the room is just like, Caleb, you didn't say that. The V word. I don't know, is that a thing? I just made it one. Here's the thing, it's good for you. Do it, build a relationship. You're gonna have to have lots of coffee and lots of lunches and invite people over and go out to lunch because the first person you meet, don't get me wrong, and, and here's the thing, if you're too excited about this, don't go up into the lob, in the lobby after this and be like, do you wanna be my spiritual friend? <laughs> no! Not everybody's built to be your spiritual friend, and the more you do that, the less you're gonna have. Okay? Just be normal, but act like you like people. Hang out with people, have meals with people, and I believe that if you're willing over the course of just being a normal community, God will bring to light someone that you do naturally connect with, that you can be on that spiritual journey side by side with. That is the goal. And those relationships have been the most fulfilling relationships in my life, but it also has to be bigger than that. And that brings me to our next goal, which you see in the rest of verse nine. He says, and I pray that and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, which means that what you know now is not enough. 
It means that how much you understand of the gospel and of the Bible right now is not enough. How much you understand about Jesus right now is not enough. You and I have incomplete knowledge of God because he is unfathomable. There's always more adventure, creativity, love, compassion, relationship, wisdom. There's always more of God. And every time God reveals himself to us, we're like, wow, that was better than I expected. We have to be on a constant pursuit to know God more. If you're coming to church just to check a box, wrong motive, and enjoy checking that box. You have to come to church hungry to hear from God, and then you will. And it's the same thing with the Bible. We have to understand the value of the word of God. We have to understand that there are people around the world that literally get arrested if they're found with this. And those same people would die to have one of these because they understand the value of God's word in our lives and we have treated it like trash. We treat it like toilet paper. We treat it like a newspaper that's thrown on a shelf and we get to it when we need it. Rather than loving the words of God, loving that God made himself comprehensible to us in some way, shape, or form. The word of God is an amazing gift and I'll tell you what, these goals, they're not flashy but they are powerful. And maybe the least flashy but the most powerful of all is the word of God, which is why the 2024 growth goal, the area that you need to keep growing in, the area that will will catalyze your growth the most is to simply be in the Bible every day. Every day. If you're writing that down, which would be good for you because it's good to write goals down, you should underline every day. Not every now and then, not once a week, Not when I really need it, but every day. Here's the thing, Christians. We have to get serious about the fact that God is speaking to you. God wants to speak to you. God wants your attention. But do you want to hear his voice? And if God does grow this church and people come in, do they want to come into a community that's just formed by their own opinions? That's what's happened in the church. We've been formed by our opinions. We've been formed by our feelings. We've been formed by our politics. We've been informed by our family of origin. We've been informed by all these things, but we are not nearly formed by the word of God the way that we should be. And I believe that Sunday morning, God uses the word and a broken communicator to, to speak the word of God to us as a family, but God wants to speak to you personally. And it starts with the word of God. No more excuses. You are the church. You are meant to hear the voice of God. And I don't care if you're 17 or 75, get in the Bible every day and allow God's word to shape you. I don't care if you read a chapter a day or memorize a verse a week or journal it or whatever you're doing, but get in scripture every day and you will hear God's voice. We have to be people of the word. Now, here's the bad news. Those first two goals, those are the easy ones. Like building friendships and being in the Bible, that's easy. That's easy stuff. There's no excuse for us to not do these things. And the next two get harder. Let's look at the verses after Paul's kind of statement in 10 and 11. In verse 12 and 13, Paul says this, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And stop there. He said, everything that has happened here has helped. What? Spread the good news. 
He gives us a hint of what's happened here. Paul is literally, physically in chains. Many of Paul's letters had to be dictated to someone else because he couldn't write. He was chained to a wall. Roman prisons were meant to break your spirit. They were dirty, they were nasty, they weren't cleaned, they weren't well-fed, none of those things. In fact, your, your initiation into a Roman prison was being beaten within an inch of your life, and their hope was that you might get a disease and die so they didn't have to take care of you. Paul lived imprisoned and chained and beaten, and as he'll write later in this letter, with the threat of death, he didn't know which day they might come to kill him or not. And yet, the language here is celebratory. He's saying, I want you to know, you know all the symptoms, you know how bad things are on the surface, but I want you to know that it's worth it, that everything here has helped with the number one thing, which is sharing the good news of Jesus. He says, I want you to know that that even the people who beat me and imprisoned me see that it's because of Jesus. The palace guard is seeing Jesus through him because, you know, after they would beat them and imprison them, I'm sure the palace guards were like, hey, what did he do to get in here? Did he kill somebody? Kill a bunch of people? Rob a bunch of people? What did he do? And they're like, I, he talked about Jesus too much? They're like, that's, why didn't he just deny Jesus? You know, in those early centuries of the church, the most common form of persecution came because Christians refused to acknowledge that the emperor was greater than Jesus. And all they had to do was say the emperor is greater than Jesus and they could worship Jesus. All they had to do was say the emperor is the biggest God in Rome, not Jesus. And Christians, starting with Paul, said, no, Jesus is, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is king. Jesus is in charge. And they would get tortured, imprisoned, and sometimes killed simply because they would not say that the emperor was greater than Jesus. And here's the reality in many parts of the world today, those kinds of cultures still exist, but not in ours. Right? It's very rare that someone would be physically oppressed for their faith in our culture. Maybe socially, but not physically. It's very rare that we would be forced into any kind of serious suffering for our faith. But do you know that God always has purpose in suffering and it's in suffering that God often brings his greatest works out of. He never lets the enemy win if we put our suffering in his hands. But do you know there's another thing that the Bible offers us in times when we aren't suffering? It's sacrifice. Not the kind of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, but Romans 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, Offer your whole body, everything about your life, offer it as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice that every part of who you are, it is Christians. Your life is not your own. You are bought at a price. Your gifts, your talents, your sexuality, your identity, your family, your home, your money, everything about your physical life, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God and he loaned it to you because he loves you. He wants you to use it. He wants you to steward it. But we steward things differently when we recognize that it's not all about me. It's not all mine. And when we recognize that those things pale in comparison to the glory of God. See, as Christians in an unpersecuted society, we have the choice to sacrifice for God and for others. 
And that's what this life is all about. It's what devotion is all about. It's what gets to the, to, to the heart of people. You know, you see it in our films and our stories as a culture. What do we, what do we um, say are the greatest heroes? They're those that sacrifice for something bigger than themselves. Those that sacrifice for, for more than themselves. Those that lay down their lives for more than ourselves. And Jesus has invited us to lay down our lives for the greatest cause that ever existed. And that is that people might know him and see that he is worthy. See that he is worthy of everything that we have to give. So my third goal for you, my 2024 devotion goal, is that you and I would give sacrificially to God's mission every chance that we get. This is a defining characteristic of the people of God. And I'm not just talking about money, that's a piece of it, right? We sacrifice financially for the mission of God. And I think that often it's helpful for us to think in terms that have been preached many times before, that it's our time, our talent, and our treasure. Those are three things in our culture that we think are ours. Well, it's my time. It's my talent. You know, it's about me doing what I can do to, to elevate myself, to build my own reputation, to make my own money. It's about that God gave this to me for me, and God's saying, I want you to take care of you, but I also have something else in mind. And treasure is just a component of it. It's interesting that in our society where we have so, we, we have so deadened ourselves with our addictions to the things of the world that we use this, bound, we use this term called boundaries to say, I gotta put boundaries on my time because I don't have enough. I gotta put boundaries on my finances because I don't have enough. I've gotta put boundaries on who I give my talents and give myself to because I don't have enough. And, and do you know that, that that theme of boundaries, while it is, it is very helpful when you have lived with none or in terms of unhealthy relationships, it is not helpful in terms of your relationships with God. Because do you know where the Bible sets boundaries in our relationship with God? Nowhere. There's none. Every part of our life is God's. And every part of our life flourishes at God's touch. And so I'll just tell you this. Matthew 6, 19 through 20, Jesus says, hey, if you show me where you're putting your greatest treasure, your time, your talent, your finances, I'll show you what you love. And he's essentially saying, don't tell me you love me if I can't touch any of those things. And then he also says, in those same verses, powerful verses, he says, and by the way, if you invest your time, talent, and treasure in this world, say goodbye to it. It's a bad investment. A bad investment is when you put stuff in and you don't get more than that out. He says, but if you'll invest your time, talent, and treasure in my kingdom, nothing can take that away. That will be the best return on investment that you can get. It should mess with us Christians. It messes with me and Jeanette. It messes with us. And, and I'll tell you what, this year I feel called more than ever before to give more finances into the mission field. We're giving more to mission forward than we've ever given before. And do you know what that means? That means there's things that I want that I'm getting less of. Or not at all. I have a long list of things that I want that my money can buy. And yet if I believe Jesus' words, I believe that me investing in his kingdom, when I look back from eternity, I'm gonna be like, I'm so glad I did not buy my list and I bought Jesus' list. I'm so glad 
that I didn't waste the temporary resources I had on my list that would have lasted at tops another, you know, whatever, 70 years, 40 years, whatever, a year, a day. I don't know how much time I have, but I can invest in something that will last for eternity with my time. How do you give your time to kingdom initiatives? How do you give your talents to kingdom initiatives? How do you give your, these are tangible things. You are smart people. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. The question Jesus said is not if you are able, it's if your heart desires to. So what does it look like for you to not give comfortably, for you to not tip God, for you not to budget God into your perfect little life, but for you to give sacrificially? That's what the Philippian church did that caught God's attention. What does it look like for you? Some other things that have nothing to do with our church that God's calling Jeanette and I to sacrifice our time and our energy and our abilities towards this year that I'm like, God, I'm, I'm busy enough as it is. You really want me to spend time doing that? And God's like, yes. Anything else? It's all yours, Lord. And the last goal may be the hardest of all and we'll wrap up with this in verse 14 he says and because of my imprisonment most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear here's the amazing thing the church in Rome or Ephesus they don't know exactly where he's imprisoned at this point in his ministry but it's either Rome or Ephesus the Christians who watched Paul boldly declaring his faith in the prison, unashamed of his faith in prison, celebrating that even the prison guards were hearing the gospel through his imprisonment. They were inspired by this, and they were inspired to do what Jesus in Acts 1 verse 8 calls all of us to do, which is to be witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit, pointing people to Jesus. It's also in Matthew 28 when Jesus rose from the dead, and he said, with all the authority I have, I'm sending you to the ends of the earth to make disciples, to teach people the culture of the kingdom and the way the family of God works. And Paul's suffering was inspiring the church to do what they were called to do all along, which was to share Jesus. And our 2024 mission goal is simply to do that, is for you and for me, each one of us, no excuses, no personality deficits, no, no, no any of those things, but our goal is that we would share Jesus with someone unchurched in your sphere of influence once a month for the next year and every year after that. Some of you are like, Caleb, come on, man, that is your job. And show me how you figured that one out in the Bible, and I'll do it. It's your job, Christians. There is never a disconnect between receiving the gospel and sharing the gospel. They always go together. If you've received it, you're called to share it. Will you share it the same way as me? No, your personality, your sphere of influence will sometimes dictate how you share the good news. Are any of us good enough to share the good news? Do any of us have the perfect words and the perfect moment and the perfect everything all the time? No, but the Holy Spirit does. That's why Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you're gonna have to wait for the Holy Spirit because it's you and the Holy Spirit together that are gonna share the good news 
to the ends of the earth. It's you and the Holy Spirit together that are gonna work on this. And it can look like a lot of different things. It may mean that you just simply see a coworker struggling. You say, hey, I I believe in Jesus. He's changed my life. Can I pray for you? I believe he could help you. That's sharing Jesus. The most common way is that you share in a relationship you've already built. Hey, can I tell you what God's done in my life? This is what I saw him do. He can do that in your life. Share your testimony, not the whole story. Very few people want to hear your whole story all at one time. I love you. I do, but not everybody else. But people want to hear the parts of your story that connect with their story. Some of you, you have been in in church for a long time. You've been to every Bible study that's ever existed. You know more about the Bible than the Apostle Paul did, and yet you never share Jesus with anybody. And I would just say... Quit getting fat on the benefits of God and never sharing it with anybody else. Right? We should be ashamed of ourselves. Here's the reality of the mission of God. It is life or death. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Our sins, all of ours, mine especially, deserve hell. Jesus came and died so I didn't have to go there. He sent me and you to help somebody else also not go there. It is life or death. It's more important than your retirement. It's more important than you keeping your job. It's more important than you having the vacation that you want. It's more important than everything else. You sharing Jesus glorifies him, saves other souls, and you'll find that it is satisfying to you as well. But Christians, we cannot make any excuses to know people that are are pointed towards hell just like we were. And we just pat them on the back while we're going there. Well, I hope they saw it in my actions. I hope that they, I hope they somehow put the puzzles to pieces together. And Jesus is like, I sent, I sent you. You were the puzzle piece. Gosh, I hope somebody that's more extroverted than me shares. I hope somebody that's better with words shares. No more excuses. Do you know what, where our excuses are supposed to go? To Jesus. And do you know what his answer is? Ask me for the gift of the Holy Spirit and I'll help you. Ask me. You can't do it without me, but with me, nobody can stop you. With me, it doesn't matter how bad it sounds coming out of your mouth, it'll be anointed. With me, it doesn't matter how inopportune the moment is or how much it may may cost you some reputation at your workplace. With me. It's fruitful. The question for all these things, guys, building intentional, deep, family-level relationships in the church, being in the Bible every day, giving sacrificially to God's mission, and actually sharing Jesus, being intentional to share Jesus with people, do you know what they really come down to? Our hearts. They come down to our hearts. They come down to whether our hearts are soft enough to allow Jesus to change us or whether we've hardened ourselves with one of the many excuses that human beings make. Jesus on the cross removed every excuse. Jesus by his spirit gives you everything that you need. You are sons and daughters of God called to invite people in a dying world into an eternity of blessing with him. There is no greater use of your life than giving yourself to that. That is what matters most.
and we all have different ways to contribute to it. Your careers are not a waste. Your relationships are not a waste. Your talents and gifts are not a waste. But they are meant to be dedicated to the kingdom of God and what God wants to do in and through you. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, or I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. (laughs) Wow. My wife is going to give me a hard time about that one. She did say the babiest seed of faith earlier, though. You said the babiest seed of faith earlier. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, babiest. The babiest little seed of faith. It was cute. It was cute. I just never heard that. We do need the Holy Spirit, though, and that's what we're going to spend time seeking the Lord about. Because here's, here's the deal, guys. I love you. I love you. And these four things that I'm asking you to do, I absolutely 100% am confident that they will lead you to greater blessing in your life. But that's not the reason that we do them. We do them because we love God more than ourselves. And in that overflow of love, we love people that maybe they don't deserve to be loved or they don't, they don't in, in, in our minds, we don't know how to love them. And Jesus says, I loved them pretty well because what I did on the cross was for them too. And he's waiting for his church to wake up to that. Across our nation, he's waiting for his church to wake up to that. Sound Life Church, let's be an awake church. Let's be awake to the Holy Spirit's moving in our lives. Let's be responsive to his leading. Let's be those people that that the minute Jesus leads, we say yes. Let's stop being resistant. Let's stop making excuses. And here's the other thing that Paul shows us. It's not gonna be without pain. Nowhere in there does Paul use his pain as, as an excuse to wait. He says, I know what this life is about, and I know there's an eternity of flourishing and blessing waiting for me, and I'm gonna get spots of that kind of blessing in this life, but pain is not an excuse to wait. And I say that because I know how many of you are in pain. Emotionally, physically, right? We all have, we carry brokenness with us, and we're in the process of being made new. Don't let that be an excuse to not be on mission with Jesus. Just stand with me this morning. And I want to just spend a few minutes reminding ourselves that we are God's. I want to encourage you if you are not already living out those four things that I've mentioned, would you take this moment to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to call you to that next step? Would you allow the Holy Spirit? to have the life that Jesus died for. Put it back in his hands. Let's not waste anymore. Let's build our lives on what matters most. So Father, I ask that you would speak now. That you would speak now. That you you would tell us what you want of us. That you would apply these four goals. That you would show us what our next steps are that you would stir in us faith and hunger and obedience, that you would do what only you can do. We are asking for your Holy Spirit to move in us, in Jesus' name.